chapter four section two of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter four some ultimate questions of metaphysics section two this feat which his predecessors performed involuntarily is the serious and deliberate accomplishment of the objective idealist there is but one step from the underlying unknown reality to thought as the thing in itself the objective idealist does not worry about dilemmas consciousness can swallow them all there is nothing that it cannot swallow they are logical dilemmas are they not very well then already they fall within consciousness they are expressed in terms of consciousness and lend themselves most obligingly to the expression he does not worry about the world outside him it is outside his body not outside consciousness his body is part of it and both it and his body are expressible in terms of consciousness why seek or why assume other modes of expression if you remind him that on his own showing nature is the other of thought he will say what if it is doesn't that prove that it falls within consciousness since otherness is a thought relation what is nature but a network of relations and what are relations but the work of thought the terms of the relation you don't suppose i've been so simple as not to allow for them what are your precious terms when all's said and done and you've analyzed all the thought out of them sensations and if sensation is not consciousness i should like to know what is changes you say not of consciousness nor for consciousness changes let me tell you that wind up in sensation bang in consciousness changes every one of them in the outside world world outside what consciousness not a bit of it outside and inside are terms if it's terms you're talking about of consciousness or rather they are thought relations can you see outside can you hear outside or touch it outside and inside exists only in and for thought world in time and space i believe you and where if you please are time and space if not in consciousness and what are they if not terms there you are again of consciousness changes of matter all we know of matter is expressible in terms of consciousness and what we don't know of matter is not material to my argument your argument your argument doesn't matter so much either but since you insist you're not claiming are you that matter is the thing in itself consciousness is the thing in itself you think matter as we do not know it may be what what sort of matter is that i thought you were an empiricist if you are you've no business to jump like that from the known to the unknown and if you're not you'd very much better come in with me direct his attention to the triumphant existence of the parallel liner's physical line or what is left of it after the animist has done with it the neural and brain processes which never are in consciousness and he will smile patiently at your fatuity while he tells you that if they do not exist as sense perceptions for your consciousness or his they exist in and for both as knowledges and even if they were not in his consciousness or yours they are in some consciousness as knowledges and that there is no reason why they should not exist as sense perceptions for a consciousness so constituted as to perceive them sensibly 
talk to him of forces and of energies and of the conservation of energy of the imperceptible ultimate constituents of matter of ether and electrons and all the impalpable and imponderable postulates of physical science and he will floor you with the same argument draw for him the picture of the eons of past time of solar systems rolling unperceived through space of lifeless seas and of glacial ranges subsisting in their august and solitary unknownness before sense and thought were ever dreamed of and he will repeat that the picture itself is not only drawn in lines of consciousness but coloured deeply with its dyes and he will ask you where and when these spectatorless dramas could have been played if not in space and time which he maintains not without a show of reason to be thought relations which need no duplicate and he will invite you in your turn to eliminate all possible forms of consciousness from the universe and picture if you can how much would be left of it mr mcdougall cannot hope to disconcert him with that little joke about eating without an eater and without anything to eat any more than you could shatter kant with the old pragmatist wheeze of the thousand tollers both instances being drawn from a region below the level of the inquiry he takes his stand on the firm ground that consciousness at any rate is given and if you are indiscreet enough to talk about eating his obvious answer is that he alone among philosophers is not trying to eat his cake and have it too he alone is unthreatened by either horn of a dilemma and when angry with him this time you turn and ask him how he dare mention kant who was worth fifteen of him he will refer you to kant's prolegomena to any future metaphysic and swear that kant was on his side all the time with his unity of apperception only that he hadn't the courage to say so he will add that kant deliberately dished the transcendental realist or absolute idealist show in order to exalt practical reason at pure reason's expense and prove himself the most moral man in Königsberg he will suggest not without plausibility that if people would only read kant's prolegomena and his critique of judgment more and the two critiques of reason a little less they would see that there wasn't such a great difference between him and the idealists after all at this point you will perhaps remind him that hegel's naturphilosophie was not exactly a work its author could be proud of and that naturphilosophie was ever the weak spot in the idealist's armour but he will stand his ground protesting that if hegel had not been so bent on keeping his chair at berlin by bolstering up the doctrines of the trinity he would have been more in earnest with the otherness of nature he would that is to say have seen that if nature is to be the other of thought the more otherly she behaves the better and that that is why nature kicks against the triple dialectic if you ask him what he will do supposing just supposing it should be proved to-morrow that nature did get in first and that consciousness really was an illusory by-product he might be staggered for a moment but he would recover on the assurance that even in this case consciousness would come out on top seeing that once the affair was known the scientific explanation of it must necessarily be given in terms of consciousness in fact i don't think the prospect would really stagger him even for a moment you cannot starve into surrender a system with such a prodigious swallow nor down an opponent with such an inexhaustible capacity for retort almost you could believe that objective idealism is the winning horse and that you could do worse than back it almost but not quite
the objective idealist horse is a remarkably fine animal and of an incomparable speed he can cover the greatest possible space in the smallest possible time and you cannot wind him that the objective idealist wind is his only merit is the opinion of most people who have tried to hold out under his interminable recitative whereas his great and undeniable merit is his almost infantile simplicity but he is vulnerable at two places one ask him what he makes of unconscious thinking of sleep and of forgetting which are small holes but still palpable holes in the general web of consciousness holes which can never be filled up by the device of calling them knowledges he ought to be able to say that no consciousness is lost forever but that things lost for us and forgotten are stored and remembered in the absolute but unless he is an absolute idealist he cannot say it ask him what he makes of the great energies of instinct and of love of will and purpose and action of conscience and ethical values and aesthetic values and he will tell you that he makes nothing of them except that they are states of consciousness like any other and if he is consistent that one state of consciousness is as good because it is as real as any other he is either so absorbed in his vast vision of the world arising in consciousness so satisfied with his fairly easy reduction of everything in the universe to states of consciousness or so intent on his series of unanswerable repartees that he has never paused to consider what consciousness itself may be doing all the time and how its states are behaving among themselves and his secret dilemma which he will not acknowledge is this he has cut the thing in itself very cleverly out of the problem and packed all reality into states of consciousness not my states or your states but all the states of all the consciousness there is so that the sum of reality will be simply the sum of the states no state of consciousness on his own showing can be more real than any other state but totality the sum of all states must be more real than any one state or any number of states so that his reality is purely quantitative and every lapse of consciousness no matter whose or what and these lapses are constantly occurring will be a dead loss of reality to the universe and unless he can show that this loss is made good somewhere and made good all the time reality must suffer very seriously in order to make good the loss he must give up his assumption that all states of consciousness are equally real so that he may protect himself by the further assumption that what the universe has lost in quantity it has gained in quality which is impossible to prove in this case he must either abandon his theory of consciousness as sufficient reality in itself or he must take refuge in an absolute consciousness say that like a wise man he takes sanctuary even then he is no better off for he cannot contend that his absolute is real qua absolute consciousness being the only reality his absolute can be only real qua consciousness so that strictly speaking he had no right to summon it qua absolute to his aid but he has done it and is now faced with the further dilemmas if consciousness is only real qua absolute all those states of consciousness which on his own showing consisted chiefly or entirely of thought relations are unreal he cannot save himself by picking out the terms of the relation from the relation and declaring them real 
for it was just their capacity for entering into relations that entitled them to reality within his closed system nor can he purchase reality for them by merging them with his absolute except at the price of the oneness to which he was pledged for then he has indeed found the true home of the irreducible term shorn of its thought relations which must be held henceforth to exist within the absolute with all the absolute reality of the absolute yet at one blow he is deprived of reality his entire system of thought relations it is all up with the diamond net in which he had so skilfully ensnared the universe he must now confess that appearance not to say unreality in the form of relativity enters largely into consciousness since absolute consciousness is the only real this appearance must either exist within absolute consciousness infecting it with relativity besides setting up a schism inside it as against the real terms or it exists in states of consciousness outside it in which case absolute consciousness will be set up over against relative consciousness in a relation of absolute to relative when it is all up with the absolute even the self-aloner is not in a more horrible position he can swallow the entire universe and the absolute with it in one sacramental mouthful since at least he has given himself a self to swallow with now when we behold the collapse of one metaphysical system after another and of one psychophysical theory after another and find the cause of the collapse in some inherent dilemmas three courses are open to us we may abandon all systems and all theories henceforth and forever this is the counsel of prudence and of caution it is also the counsel of intellectual despair or we may try to build up another system and another theory out of all the old ruins on a new site this is what has been done with metaphysical systems from time immemorial and done with perfect ease it merely involves shifting the material and rearranging the already generalized terms of the problem but we cannot play in the same light-hearted fashion with psychophysical material which has its own attachments and its own territory and refuses obstinately to be shifted on to new ground in any case the chances are that our precious erection would have most of the bad points of its predecessors with a special and incurable shakiness of its own or we may go back to the old systems and the old theories to see whether they had anything in common and if so what and try to find out the root of the dilemmas which were the cause of their collapse we have got to face the fact that the psychophysical problem has complicated our problem very seriously supposing we find that all without exception have a common interest and a common end and that their several dilemmas have a common root we shall have gained not perhaps enough to build with but enough not to despair of building henceforth and forever now it cannot be maintained that all metaphysical systems and theories seek unity in the teeth the really very sharp and ferocious teeth of the new realism which has gone out of its way to avoid it the new realism is out-and-out out pluralism but certainly all the systems and all the theories we have considered yet have this thing in common the quest for unity some kind of unity no matter what the desired one may be matter or it may be mind it may be the ego it may be just consciousness or it may be an unknown and unknowable tertium quid substance thing in itself the absolute the unconscious the life-force 
it is implicit in the very dilemmas of the systems that have repudiated it first then we have to see whether the dilemmas we have considered have a common root we have seen vitalism fall from one dilemma into another because of the ultimate reality it ascribed to matter and the metaphysical importance it gave to action it seeks unity it seeks reality but it cannot find it and the root of its dilemma is that it looked for ultimate reality in a penultimate place the dilemma of the thorough-paced materialist was that he could only save his materialism at the cost of the empirical law he based it on clearly he would not have fallen into that dilemma if he had not given to matter an ultimate reality and conceived it as doing what as a purely mechanical phenomenon it was powerless to do besides giving to a purely physical law a metaphysical validity he should have been the last to claim for it in other words he looked for ultimate reality in the wrong place the dilemma of the thorough-paced subjective idealist was that in denying the existence of any reality outside himself he cut away the ground from any possible proof of his own existence again the root of his dilemma was the quest of ultimate reality in the wrong place the dilemma of the less consistent types of parallel liners was that placing reality in a mysterious third something expressly stated to be either unconscious or not definable in terms of consciousness they straightway fell into either defining it plumply and plainly in terms of consciousness or bringing it into such relation with consciousness as to compromise very seriously its neutrality the root of their dilemma was that while they distinguished clearly between appearance and reality and recognized that body and soul matter and mind brain processes and consciousness are equally phenomenal they yet placed reality in some third principle from which they had previously abstracted every sign and mark of the real they also were looking for reality in the wrong place the dilemma of the thorough-paced parallel liner was that the harder he drove his system on two lines the more it tended to leave them and the root of the dilemma is again the same in renouncing the quest of the ultimate reality he is obliged to ascribe to mere psychophysical processes the metapsychic and metaphysical functions they have not if you cannot say that he too has looked for ultimate reality in the wrong place since he was not looking for it at all he has looked on at the usurpation of its place and power nor can it be said that objective idealism or even that absolute idealism escapes in spite of its tremendous swallow if the vitalist makes too much of action the objective idealist makes too little his dilemma was that having defined reality in such terms of consciousness as to eliminate all elements of consciousness other than thought relations he infected his absolute with relativity and was forced to deny to thought the ultimate reality he had claimed for it in the beginning the root of his dilemma is transparent he too looked for ultimate reality in the wrong place in consciousness held together by thought relations and by nothing else animism is safe from dilemma only so long as it has not declared openly against metaphysical monism it would be unfair to press any argument hostile to pluralism against animism as represented by mr mcdougall still more unfair to fasten on him an opinion he would disallow his is clearly a case of suspended judgment so long as he forbears to take the final plunge into any metaphysical gulf 
i have no right to picture him as hovering on the brink leaving animism then to its suspended judgment we may say that with this doubtful exception all those systems and theories psychophysical or metaphysical had some one ultimate reality for their common end and all in mistaking one or other set of appearances for ultimate reality or one part of reality for the whole have betrayed the common root of their dilemmas all looked for reality looked for unity and looked for it in the wrong place it would seem then that the universe is not built up from the life force in action upon matter alone nor from matter itself alone nor from the individual self alone nor from an unknown and unknowable alone nor from body and soul alone nor from consciousness alone still less from thought alone that lands you in the barren absolute but if there were one term that would cover all these terms life force matter individual self substance thing in itself the unknown and unknowable or possible third soul consciousness thought the absolute one term which besides covering all these covers also that which has slipped away from them will and love that term could we find it would stand for the reality we want we want a term infinitely comprehensive and perfectly elastic and a term that does some modest sacrifice to the unknown for the vice of those terms was that none was elastic none was comprehensive but that some one excluded inevitably some other if we could put that term in every place where we have used those others i do not think that the same dilemmas would arise to the unity and the reality we are looking for we can give no name but spirit this leaves a wide margin for the unknown end of chapter four recording by expatriate in bangor maine